Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Today is the last day before uh, spring training begins, so it's uh, kind of the last off day of the off season. And as that is our theme around here, it makes sense that we are recording an off day podcast. I am Ben Godar here as always with my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm glad that baseball is about to start, even if it's just exhibitions, because uh, the weather that we're getting and a lot of the country is getting actually is not very baseball-like. So it's a a good reminder that spring is on the way, um, even up here in, in the northern part of the country. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, yeah, we're uh, very excited to be back and uh, we're going to uh, answer listener questions uh, for a lot of our time today. Before we get into that, though, one thing I wanted to mention uh, at the start of every episode, we have wonderful theme music provided by Devant. Uh, Devant has a new album out that you can get uh, on Apple Music and Spotify and uh, wherever you get your music. And uh, so I would encourage everybody to uh, go out and uh, pick up uh, pick up that album. Uh, I have picked it up and I really enjoy it, uh, Ben. Um, uh, my favorite track uh, is uh, uh, entitled High Coffee. Um, Micah, who, uh, who is Devant, uh, is, is a friend of ours. And Micah and I actually, I think, pretty much met, actually, because uh, we hung out at the same coffee shop. So that one has a, uh, you know, a, a, a warm spot in my heart. And for anyone who's on the fence thinking, well, do I really want to check this music out? I think our listeners should know that uh, 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 Micah is a, a, a really serious Cardinals fan as well. So hopefully that will uh, nudge them to, to check out that album by Devant as well. Yeah, we we occasionally get together with him to watch Cardinals games. Um, it's it's really like a Cardinals off day watch party of sorts because uh, it's like everyone who's involved <laughs> gets together, <laughs> watches a little baseball, uh, and talks about it. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, I have also had the opportunity to check out the new album and enjoy it quite a bit, and I encourage your listeners to do the same. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Ben, uh, moving on with the format. Uh, what have we learned? Uh, well, we have learned uh, that uh, Bill DeWitt Jr. likes what John Mosellock does as president of baseball operations. Um, the Cardinals, uh, as our listeners have probably seen in the news, signed John Mosellock to an extension as president of baseball operations. Um, This is not surprising if you listen to the podcast. We frequently have reminded our listeners that uh, it is incorrect to direct all of your ire about lack of spending or lack of trades at the front office because the front office is working within the parameters that ownership sets. And uh, John Mosellock has done a very good job of implementing Bill DeWitt's vision of having a team with a lot of cost control players that allows them to also uh, have a few superstars who are paid superstar salaries. So DeWitt likes what he's getting. Uh, He has extended John Mosellock. To me, Ben, the most interesting thing about that announcement uh, was it really sounds like uh, the parameters of this are kind of 
you know, this this might be the the last contract for John Mosellock, and they're preparing to uh, transition. This will be more of a transitioning phase for the organization as they prepare uh, other people within the organization to take on bigger roles in the future. And it sounds like John Mosellock yeah. may be stepping back or stepping down or something like that at the end of this contract. Yeah, I believe they dropped a banner behind him that said one last ride um, when they made the announcement, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And if they didn't literally do that, that was definitely uh, the vibe uh, of what they did there. Uh, You know, Ben, I think what I have learned is that uh, I've learned that Jordan Walker is very likely going to be a, a starting corner outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals on opening day. And I, and I say very likely, I, it's, it's, I don't think that's a certainty. I think spring training has to happen, but uh, I'm, I'm picking up some pretty heavy signals that that is the direction that the team is leaning. Um, I think uh, we heard a lot just this week about uh, Tyler O'Neill, um, you know, playing center field. I'm really kind of emphasizing play in center field. That's yet another kind of sign that they're uh, they're clearing out the corners uh, for Mr. Walker. Um, and uh, you know, something else. Uh, the more I look at the, um, you know, Ben, those new uh, CBA rules on the uh, supplemental first round draft pick that teams can get for uh, having a player who finishes in the top three uh, rookie of the year, which was kind of one of those just weird quirks that came in at the end um, to kind of uh, incentivize, uh, you know, basically against uh, uh, service time manipulation. And it's, it's weird the way it's said. It's weird that it's based on an awards vote thing, but it's there and, Part of me from the moment that it was voted in just wanted to say, well, that's silly. That's not going to dictate a team's behavior. But, you know, Ben, the closer we get to the season, the more I think to myself, you know, a supplemental first round pick is a pretty valuable thing. And particularly to a team that operates the way the Cardinals operate. Um, Now, it's not going to dictate how they run an entire season and they're not going to you know, run a player out there who's completely overmatched, you know, over the course of a full season. But I think it incentivizes them to give a shot to a player like Jordan Walker, who very well may be up to it. And if he is up to it, has a really good shot to finish, uh, you know, high enough in an awards race like that to earn them a supplemental first round pick, which they can then go out and use to draft another Jordan Walker. So uh, again, that's just another data point, but I just, I keep seeing point after point after point that suggests to me that I think there's a, a, a decent likelihood that we see Jordan Walker out there in a corner outfield spot on, uh, on opening day. Well, that is very thought provoking. I I'm still, I would be surprised if he doesn't start in Memphis. Cause I just feel like, uh, even with the reporting, and and as you have said, there are a lot of signals. You know, they've already had the Okendo story, right? Like he's been working with Jose Okendo, um, and yeah. it, you know, so hey, he he's more ready than you might think, and these types of things. But I I still feel they have so many outfielders, um, mm-hmm. and it it seems to me like he might legitimately. This is not like a Chris Bryant situation. I feel like, you know, where the Cubs just just overtly oh, yeah. manipulated his service time. Uh, with Walker, 
you know, changing positions uh, more recently, I, I think he could legitimately benefit from some time in AAA. Um, and then, you know, I, I think I was joking slash not joking uh, on one of our off-season podcasts that he will then be called up and play every day once Tyler O'Neill lands on the injured list. Right, right, exactly. Which will be on the third day of the season. So, um, so, if, so if I'm wrong and he's not there on opening day, he'll be there on Wednesday of the first week. Of the so, uh, at any rate, uh, you know, uh, Ben, Saturday uh, we have the first broadcast of the season, the first spring training broadcast, and I always watch the first spring training broadcast, and I have been kind of thinking to myself, we have all these markers uh, for when baseball's back, pitchers and catchers, of course, and then the whole team reporting. There's even truck day, right, which is kind of a silly thing, but it's still a thing that's out there. And uh, the more I think about it, it honestly is the first television broadcast that really, to me, stands out as the thing that says that baseball is back. And the reason is that... uh, you know, as much as we talk about baseball as a as a sport and as an athletic competition, uh, Ben, baseball really is my favorite TV show. Um, it's it comes back every season. Um, it's on every day. Uh, there's a bunch of characters on it that I love. There's characters that I love to hate. There's new plot lines. There's drama. Uh, it's a TV show that I just love every year. It comes back. It's It's been renewed every season of my life, Ben. I mean, uh, uh, are there any other TV shows we can say that about? I mean, The Simpsons comes close, but uh, there are no other TV shows like baseball. So I'm very excited to have it back. Um, and uh, before we dive into that, though, I think this year in particular, we wanted to hit on a couple of things specific to the TV aspect of it itself, because we did have a couple fairly big things kind of break just over these last uh, kind of really couple months and even just a couple weeks here since we last recorded related to the sort of TV side of things itself. Um, you know, first we had, of course, the everything going on with the sort of Bally Diamond Sports, uh, regional sports networks, um, you know, kind of drama and uh bankruptcies there. And then, of course, we had the Dan McLaughlin, uh, Chip Carey situation going on at uh, Bally Sports Midwest. So, Ben, I think we kind of wanted to hit on both of those. Is there which one did you want to tackle first? Um, I, you know, I think the the Diamond Sports situation is the one um, that probably uh, has the most impact on or, or potential impact on both the Cardinals and fans, whereas uh, the carry hiring is more just an impact. You know, we fans will have to suffer through him. It won't really impact the team. Uh, so let's start with uh, sort of this bankruptcy situation, um, or it very well could be a bankruptcy situation soon. And you know, just a little bit of background about that for folks who haven't been following. Uh, when Disney acquired uh, 21st Century Fox, uh, regulators required them to sell some of the Fox assets uh, in the interest of, you know, competition uh, and the free market. And among those was the regional sports networks, which uh, then Sinclair Broadcasting Group created a subsidiary 
bought it on uh, basically on credit. I think they pumped in a little bit of money, but they went into a lot of debt to acquire uh, these regional sports networks. And uh, since they have done that, uh, that business has taken some serious hits. COVID didn't help anything, uh, but neither has all the co- cord cutting, which has really accelerated. And sort of the the golden goose of that business model, it, it was, you know, those carriage fees and uh, the ability to, uh, you know, get that money from being cable being carried on uh, cable packages. So people are paying for... Uh, Bali Sports Midwest or whatever, whether they watch it or not. And so, uh, but what has happened is their revenue has gone down because of these factors and they are going to miss uh, an interest payment on their debt, which is going to probably drive them to file for bankruptcy, which has the potential uh, to uh, open back up some of their contracts with teams or perhaps even the teams to simply, if they were to make a payment, the Cardinals would probably view that as a breach of contract and take full control of their broadcasting rights and other major league teams may do the same. And so, uh, Ben, you you have correctly said baseball has never been canceled, but this is about as close to it <laughs> as, as you're going to get, uh, potentially. That's a good point. Um, and it, so it, it could get a little hairy. Yeah, it, it, it could, but um, this is such a beloved show, Ben, that, uh, you know, this is like when uh, Community went off of uh, NBC and then went to, uh, you know, like two or three other networks and a streamer and, and whatnot. And now I think they're making a Community movie now, I think I heard, right? That's what we have going on here. <laughs> and so, um, uh, you, you know, that's really where this is ultimately going to shake out. And, um, you know, I think there's, I mean, the, the threads of this go in a few different directions. Um, I think for teams and especially for teams like the Cardinals, um, the the immediate threat is just the fact that so much of their revenue is predicated on these enormous uh, TV deals, um, you know, on which, which were predicated on the future revenue of these RSN deals, which now are potentially going away. And so um, that potentially opens up a big hole in their their future revenue because uh, local TV revenue really is the, the biggest piece of most teams' uh, revenue. Um, you know, I mean, this isn't the you know this isn't the 1920s. These teams don't make a lot of their money uh, with the tickets at the gate. Or, you know what I mean? That's not where they're they're making most of their their money. Um, and interestingly, um, and Manfred in some of his kind of comments recently. <sighs> mentioned Steve Cohen. And I think that where I see this going, Ben, I really think that Manfred is hoping that he can solve the RSN implosion and solve his Steve Cohen problem at the same time. Because what what I believe Manfred wants to do is, is really, the, you know, the, these RSNs are, I mean, this is collapsing, you know, the, the blow by blow is, we're not certain how it's going to happen. But these deals are collapsing. And so I think it's reasonably certain that MLB will to some in in some form or another likely um, 
take back control uh, or, or, or rather take control of these uh, local um, broadcasting uh, deals for these these kind of orphaned teams like the Cardinals, um, it could certainly provide them a home on MLB TV. Um, but long term, I think what Manfred would, would really like to do is to negotiate national con- broadcasting contracts for all baseball, similar to the way that like NFL does for all of its teams. The challenge there will be that while most teams are going to be all for that, the, the really big uh, teams um, whose broadcasting, uh, local broadcasting contracts are still very lucrative um, will not be interested in that. And there's question as to whether he will have enough support uh, from owners to do that. So that's that's kind of where I see this going, Ben. Is that where you see this going as well? Um, I, I think that very well could be uh, where it heads. And it is a little bit tricky because you have, you know, different teams have different situations. And so, you know, like the Cardinals are a 30% ownership stake uh, in Bali Sports Midwest. Um, but then you have other teams like, you know, you referenced the Yankees. They own and aren't in any trouble at all. They they own their own right. network and and yep. control it. And they've built out the Yes Network so it's more than just baseball and it makes them money. Um, and yep. so it will be very interesting to see, uh, one, uh, how devoted Diamond Sports is to maintaining these contracts because Diamond uh, sports, you know, it's only worth something if it has these contracts, right? So there's an incentive there uh, to maybe try to renegotiate these deals so they're not paying as much. And then maybe that also includes no more blackouts, right? Like there, there are a whole bunch of permutations that this could take. And the most drastic one is the teams, the major league baseball teams taking their rights back and then broadcasting games themselves. But, you know, I was pretty interested, like the NBA just extended its contract uh, with uh, Sinclair and, and Diamond Sports, and they're kind of taking more of a wait-and-see approach, even though this is going to play out kind of de- during their season, although I don't think it would impact their postseason broadcasts. So right. uh, I, th- I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, and And also, I think the number one thing that's going to come of this is I think there will be no more blackouts. So our fellow Iowans who are blacked out from seeing the Cardinals, the Royals, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Brewers, and the Twins, uh, will be able to watch our favorite team. Even uh, so we're no longer blacked out, even if we cannot watch our favorite team on cable, Uh, which I think uh, is a good development for the sport. uh, Even if it might mean a little bit of a short term, revenue hit for the teams involved. Oh, agreed. Agreed. That will certainly be the most uh, joyful uh, change that comes out of this. And, and I know that, um, uh, I know that competitive balance is a term that has kind of been weaponized by, uh, uh, ownership and the commissioner's office, uh, to some extent, um, and, uh, not always used in, uh, a meaningful way, but, uh, it does, um, you, you know, uh, it, it, it is a factor, uh, in baseball and, um, there is a version of this where, 
Um, you know, if ultimately you got to a place where uh, television uh, contracts were negotiated uh, kind of league wide and you saw some parity there and it allowed uh, a future CBA to have, you know, something like a salary floor, which of course would probably also come with ownership pushing for something like a salary cap. And there'd be all kinds of drama like that. But, you know, I think you could see some, um, you could see a healthier just kind of ecosystem um, potentially there. I mean, there's a, that's a whole lot of things I'm tying together there, but you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's potential upsides to where this goes as well. The, the, there was just a lot of problems with the RSN model and the inequities that it kind of baked into it, et cetera. So um, anything else on RSNs, Ben, or um, do you want to touch on the, uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I period? think uh, we're ready to move on and talk about our, uh, our new legacy play-by-play broadcaster on the television broadcast. Yeah, do you have uh, any uh, any thoughts on uh, on Mr. Carey? Because I'll I'll be honest, uh, I I'm not I just don't have strong I just don't have strong feelings. <laughs> well, I you know if and our fans have heard uh, fellow Cardinals fans have heard me on this podcast and on Twitter. Um, I I I long ago. Uh, kind of started shopping around for Cardinals broadcasts um, because when they switched from the dead center view from behind home plate, I, it, I just really don't like that. So I will shop around and see if I can find a stream of the other team's broadcast in the hopes that it has a better camera angle. And also cause I get sick of Jim Edmonds or before Edmonds, you know, Ricky Horton is terrible. Uh, he's basically ruined the radio broadcasts. And so um, I have heard Carrie a little bit. And the thought that I had when listening to him is, man, if he weren't uh, a Nepo baby and a Nepo grandbaby, he wouldn't have a job because I just don't think he's very good. I don't think he really brings much to the table. And he's really a detriment to the overall broadcast of a game, which is to say he fits right in with the BS Midwest model uh, which is to make the viewing experience as unpleasant as possible for Cardinals fans. Uh, <laughs> so he should fit right in. Well, um, so you don't like it when he says leather larceny, Ben? Is that what you're saying? No, it's it's one of those okay. really strained things that guys who came up when SportsCenter was good try to do is they try to come up with clever things. And if you aren't clever, it just comes off bad and like you're trying too hard. And that pretty much sums yeah. up Kerry, you know, and his broadcasting style. Yeah. I, so I, I have nothing good to say about Chip Carey. Um, uh, I will say this. Uh, I, you know, I feel like with broadcasters, it's kind of a familiarity breeds contempt situation. And, you know, like you, Ben, I do, um, you know, I have MLB TV. I, I do watch a fair number of other teams broadcasts, either just because, um, you know, I'm interested in um, watching another baseball game because I love the game uh, and or because I have money on it. Um, and uh, I rarely find myself uh, like uh, aggressively kind of angry at other broadcasters. You know what I mean? Even when they're 
uh, not very good. Um, they just don't really aggravate me in the way that an Edmonds or a, a Cardinals broadcaster can come to aggravate me because I'm not I'm not with them all the time. And I even think back to Edmonds and like the first few games I heard him do, I, I found him you know not really bothersome. Uh, so something about I just feel like it, it, you just it's it just being with them kind of tends to lead to it. So. I, I kind of throw my hands up and I'm just sort of like, I don't love this higher, but I sort of feel like I'm going to end up aggravated with this guy, just like I would have ended up aggravated, aggravated with anybody else. Um, you know, we know kind of from reporting that they targeted uh, Aaron Goldsmith from the Mariners, who I, I don't know particularly well, but, you know, all reports are that he's a very good broadcaster. He pulled out at the last minute. So it feels like, uh, you know, they kind of pulled Chip Carey out of their ass. And, and really, even then, this whole thing came out of the blue, obviously. They were not expecting this Dan McLaughlin situation. So there was no succession plan in place. So I don't know. I give him a little bit of grace. Just I think this kind of got dropped on him. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I don't disagree with your assessment, Ben, but I'm, you know, I, I feel like it is what it is. So I'll just, um, you know, maybe turn the volume down a couple clicks lower as I watch this year. <laughs> yeah, I've developed uh, a volume range on my television where I can't really hear the broadcasters. They just kind of blend in with the crowd noise. And it has really increased my enjoyment of uh, football and basketball. Uh, I, I, I discovered this point with where I sit on the couch uh, during a football broadcast. And I was just like, this is wonderful. <laughs> I can't hear these guys talk. It's it's perfect. Uh, and so I'm hoping uh, with the baseball broadcast this year, I have the same effect where I feel like I'm at the ballpark and there's just these idiots talking like within earshot. And if I wanted to pay attention, I could, but I don't have to. And I can just put them out of mind. And so fingers crossed uh, that works on the BS Midwest uh, broadcasts this season, at least as long as they're on BS Midwest. I'm generally interested to hear what, or uh, curious about what Kerry's contract says. And like, does he go with the team if they go someplace else? Like, um, or yeah. is he, you know, how does that work? Uh, and hopefully we don't find out. Hopefully it's just very smooth and we're all able to watch every game without any issues this year. Uh, but I am a little bit curious uh, just on the legal side of things, how, you know, if, if the Cardinals and, and, uh, Carrie are, a you know, a, a com and Jim Edmonds and Brad Thompson, Al Raboski, you know, are these guys all a package deal if MLB takes over Cardinals broadcast, for example. So I, yeah. you know, we may or may not find out, but I'm genuinely curious how that might work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we very well may find out. So, um, all right, well, let's, let's transition into our questions and, uh, we'll start with, uh, an incredibly hard hitting question from our good friend, Daniel Shoptaw, um, uh, at C70, um, who hosts, uh, the meet me at Musial podcast, uh, great Substack, good Twitter follow. I'm sure everybody who listens to us probably is familiar with him. And Ben, I think this one is probably directed at you as our foremost uh, Jake Woodford expert. Uh, Daniel asks, how much wood could a Woodford Ford if a Woodford could Ford wood? Uh, hopefully a lot, because uh, John Denton uh, 
shared uh, his engagement picture, and it looks like he spent a lot of money on an engagement ring. So uh, he needs to be fording a lot of wood, and I'm using that as uh, a euphemism for earning money. Um, <laughs> and so hopefully, hopefully he's able to uh, uh, to earn money and uh, and continue to uh, be able to buy his fiance and future wife uh, lovely gifts. And as always, we will be pulling for Jake Woodford uh, because it results in lots of wonderful pictures that folks on Twitter like Cardinals Gifts uh, grab and share. And I enjoy probably a little bit more than I should. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, uh, ben Wheeler asks, I've heard Yankees fans be very happy. They don't have players participating in the WBC. They are scared they would get injured and ruin the Yankees season. How selfish and lame is this? Because I'm pumped to see all the Cardinals represent their countries. And Ben, I would happen to agree with you on this. I'm a I'm a fan of the World Baseball Classic. Um, I I was actually able to attend the World Baseball Classic uh, one year. I was at one of the um, uh, regionals. I don't remember. If it was like a semifinal. It wasn't the final. It was like a semifinal or something um, uh, down in uh, in Phoenix. It was one of the funnest uh, baseball events I've ever been to. Um, uh, you know, super fun. I do think it's it's an excellent experience. I think it's always a great reminder that, uh, you know, we could, we're, we're fans of baseball. We don't have to just be fans of the product that is Major League Baseball. So I'm 100% with you. And, you know, when it comes to injuries, yeah, I, I think all of the speculation on World Baseball Classic injuries is uh, pretty much just speculation. Um, ben Lindbergh at the Ringer, did a bit of a study in 2017, which was, of course, the last time we had a World Baseball Classic. Um, to the extent that one can study this, he found the data to be pretty inconclusive. He found there was maybe a very slight World Baseball Classic um, injury effect, but I mean, it was almost nothing. Um, and it was also very likely kind of self-selecting because if you think about it, only healthy players participate in the World Baseball Classic and just about any way you measure kind of health relative to another season. You know, a, a guy who has a very healthy season, the next season is almost uh, always likely to be less healthy. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's all extremely small sample sizes. There's really no reason to think that guys who play in the World Baseball Classic are more likely to be injured. Uh, ben, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I really enjoy it. Um, I don't know if we'll have as much of a fun run from a Cardinals player as we had with Yadier Molina at the last World Baseball Classic, you know, hashtag Team Yadi. Uh, that, that was really fun. Um, and Adam Wainwright, he was on the Starkville podcast uh, last week, I think. And uh, he described it perfectly. He was like, Yadier Molina carried that team on his back to the finals. And it was one of the most just... Uh, kind of electric performances you'll see from a baseball player. Uh, and it was so much fun. And I'm really hoping we see something like that, maybe from an Arenado or a Goldschmidt or a Newt Bar or an Edmund. I mean, we're, the Cardinals are going to have so many representatives. I, I agree. I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, the World Baseball Classic is something I was a little skeptical of when it first got announced. 
Um, but as it has matured, I have grown to really enjoy it uh, as an exhibition of baseball because it is so much fun to see the mix of players and them representing uh, their either the country they are originally from or their family is from. Um, and I just really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, or in some cases, uh, they're like uh, great, great grandfather is from, but that team doesn't have any good baseball players. So they play for it anyway. So um. <laughs> our next question comes from Dana button at Dana button three. And Dana asks if one of our starters in the world baseball classic gets hurt, do you think the cards hope one of their depth guys steps up like Hudson or Palante, or do they sign trade for someone? What do you think, Ben? Uh, I think a hundred percent. They rely on uh, one of their depth guys. I think both because they have a lot of depth guys and because it is hashtag the Cardinal way. Um, uh, and Ben, as I kind of look at their options there, um, the names that I, I see them considering, uh, I think Hudson and Woodford are probably the the first two that they would go to, uh, you know, for the rotation. Um, uh, the questioner mentioned uh, Polante. Um, I think they are seeing Polante more as a, a bullpen guy. Um, Thompson, um, you know, they have kind of said is going to be more of a, a bullpen option though. Thompson is somebody who they could also potentially, um, look at in the rotation. Liberator, I don't know what they're doing with Liberator, but you know, Liberator is also a guy. Um, and then you do have, uh, Graceffo, who I think is kind of the, um, a little bit of an X factor there. I think Graceffo is somebody we will probably see in St. Louis at some time this year. I think most likely we'll see them break Graceffo in as a reliever, but I don't think it's out of the question that we could see Graceffo um, do some starting this year in, in a certain, um, you know, if things fell a certain way. Um, and then Connor Thomas is the other um, kind of, you know, triple A a guy who, um, you know, pitched at AAA, um, I believe the full season he was at AAA last year, and then pitching the Arizona Fall League, had kind of an odd season, was really pretty bad through most of the minor league season, um, but then was outstanding in the Fall League. Uh, anyway, those are those are all the names. Um, that's a lot of names. That's enough names that I don't think they would go out and sign anybody. What do you think? No, I, I would be very surprised if they did that. Um, you know, they also have like Drew Verhagen, uh, you know, yeah, on that yeah, list as well, I think. Um, yeah. And so what we're likely to see is sort of a replay of last year where they pieced together a rotation until the week before the trade deadline. And then they decide if they need another arm. And if they feel that they do, they go get one. And it's also, frankly, the playbook they ran uh, two seasons ago as well. Yeah. And so that's, I wouldn't expect anything different. And I apologize to our listeners for forgetting about Drew Verhagen. <laughs> uh, uh, Michael Diver asks, how do you rate O'Neill, Carlson, Newt Bar outfield as a group and uh, individually? Ben, what say you? Um, I think it's above average um, with the potential to be, uh, you know, it, there could be three all-stars there. 
Um, but I've, I've been interested, you know, you mentioned there are some indications they're trying to open up a spot for Jordan Walker, which of, of course they are. Um, but there's also Yepes, there's also Donovan, there's also uh, Burleson. And, you know, I, I think you have to look at that group as more than just the top three, um, especially with uh, O'Neill and Carlson. They have had health problems uh last year uh and with o'neill he's had health problems you know on and off throughout his big league career and then also newt bar has not really played a full season so i think you're gonna see them mix and match with in with the dh and then also with this group and i think you know the whole idea that newt bar o'neill or carlson could all play center field I think that also means that each of those guys could play center field with, you know, like a, a Donovan Burleson alignment, you know, like yeah. in their corners or something like that. And I, I think you're probably going to see uh, Marmol do a little bit more of that type of mixing and matching uh, this season. And Ben, we've talked about this a lot from a load management perspective. I think it makes a lot of sense uh, especially when you look at the three kind of front runner top three outfielders in Newt Bar, O'Neill and Carlson, who have some kind of, I guess, durability questions that are coming with them into this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if I were to rank them, um, I it, and it's so funny because I wouldn't have thought anything like this at the beginning of last year, but I think Newt Bar is at the top of the list. Um, and he was just so good the second half of last year. Um, and not just that he was, he was so good, but, you know, Newt Bar gives you power. Newt Bar gives you uh, great on base skills and Newt Bar gives you really strong uh, defense. And that's a mix of skills that uh, you don't get from O'Neill and Carlson. Um, and uh, at the top of the show, I kind of went in on Jordan Walker and, you know, that's one of those, yeah, he could go to Memphis and he could spend the whole season in AAA. That could happen. But I think it, I think they want him to have a shot. And if he is there, he'll be the guy. So I almost see Newt Bar and Walker as the top tier here. And then O'Neill and Carlson as kind of that next tier. Um, and then Yepes and Donovan very much is the tier below that. Um, Yepes is a designated hitter who will probably stand in the outfield occasionally. Donovan is very interesting. Um, I think there's just a lot of questions about where Donovan plays, but, um, and honestly, there's questions about if Donovan's bat can do this year, what it did last year, but if it does, he will stand somewhere out there on the field for sure. So, um, uh, and actually the, our next question, Ben kind of relates to this. And this is from our, our old friend, Eric Johnson, who asks if there is one Cardinal outfielder who gets traded in 2023, which one will it be? When will it happen? And what will the return be to the Cardinals? And they'll be pitcher MLB position player, minor league prospects. What, what do you think? Um, I think Carlson is the most likely to be traded. Um, and I think it's probably for a, a major league pitcher. I, I feel like he's maybe a little bit uh, in the Bader zone for this team. 
I mean, maybe, you know, you could probably put O'Neill in there as well. Um, but I think Carlson brings them back the type of uh, major league pitcher that they would want, which would be a starter who is under control next year since they don't have many of those. Um, and so that would be my guess is uh, Carlson would be the most likely uh, to get traded. Um, and, you know, you hope that a team still sees some upside there. Um, you know, and maybe he has a solid year and, and provides them with all the, uh, you know, kind of the evidence that there is an upside there that they would need. But that's just from a value perspective. I think Newt Barr's value in the Cardinals' eyes is so high, he's unlikely to be traded. And I think Carlson's kind of in that uh, zone where the Cardinals maybe are not as high on him, but another team could still see a lot of potential there and make that move. What do you think? No. Well, I think they should have traded Carlson straight up for Juan Soto when they had the chance, is what I think, Ben. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, I, I think it's probably uh, Carlson or O'Neill who gets traded. Um, I think the, I guess the irony of it is, I think they probably, I think the, they being the Cardinals, kind of sort this out, and whoever looks like the more th- the most fourth outfielder ish of these guys is who they trade and they get back fourth outfielder value for it. So um, I kind of see that as being likely where this um, shakes out, but I tend to agree with you. I think looking at their needs, I think major league pitching is probably um, uh, what they would, you know, most need. And we've seen this pattern from them the last couple of years, and I think we likely see it again this year. Um, and certainly, especially in the rotation, I don't think we would call that a overwhelmingly stacked rotation that we're confident is going to, you know, provide dominant performances for an entire season. So I think there, you know, would be a good chance that whether it's, you know, early in the season, but more likely mid to late in the season, um, they might look to supplement that uh, in some way. All right, uh, moving along then uh, to our next question uh, is from Brandon at Brandon underscore S. Miller. What's your pick for most overrated story of spring and what should be talked about more with this team? Uh, You know, I got to say for overrated, I have to say every swing change story at this point, I think has moved into most overrated story. And, you know, for decades, we had the best shape of their life was kind of the, the punchline story of every swing, uh, every spring training. And, you know, now um, guys uh, go to driveline and the various kind of hitting labs in the off season. And I will say it's very good that they do. And oftentimes doing that leads to these amazing breakthroughs. And, you know, certainly uh, seeing Lars Newbar crushing balls in his underwear last offseason was the, the first inkling that we saw of what was coming from him. But of course, the problem is all of these guys do that or so many of these guys do it. And, um, you know, the, the very fact that they have done this doesn't 
you know, mean anything. And of course, if you go into driveline, there's major league players there and there's minor league players there. There's independent league players there. And they don't all, you know, turn into Lars Newtbar, just like everybody who shows up to camp in the best shape of their life uh, does not have the best season of their life. So um, to me, those are kind of the most overrated stories uh, of the year. Um, ben, what about you? What about overrated story? Um, the most overrated story uh, for me heading into this season, uh, I think, is kind of the the Arenado Goldschmidt buddy cop narrative, where you know they're they're two great players who drive each other to be better, and you know this, that, and the other, and you know I I think that's probably true, uh, but they were also uh, great players with the Diamondbacks and Rockies, respectively. They're just great players who are driven to be great, right? Like, it's good that sure. they play together. Don't get me wrong, you know. But um, and I'm very happy they're on the Cardinals. But I I don't know that there's really that much of a tangible difference that the two of them interacting with one another brings to the table. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of feel like. Uh, you know, that's, that's maybe being overdone a little bit after they both had such a great, each of them had great, a great season last year. You, you know, I, I feel like that has creative created a, uh, you know, more of a rush on this type of narrative than say la- entering last season. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I've, I'm kind of ready for that one to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, if I'm going to pick an underrated story, Ben, I'm going to say, um, I think it might be the new pitching coach, uh, Dusty Blake. Uh, and I'll be honest, who knows, because that could, this, that could amount to nothing as well. But I only say that because I think, you know, you and I talked for the last couple of years about how odd it was the imbalance, uh, on the Cardinals in that on the hitting coach side, you know, they had gone with this very kind of new school analytics driven, uh, you know, whole system approach to hitting. And on the pitching coach side, they were being led by, uh, you know, kindly old man, Mike Maddox. And, um, you know, now um, Dusty, Dusty Blake has been, you know, brought in as the pitching coach. Now I say brought in, he was there already. He was in this pitching strategist role before. So the fact that he was there before, it may actually be no change at all, but yet it, it is a, a new face at the top. So it will be interesting to see if that manifests into anything. So maybe that is an underrated story. Uh, any thoughts from you, Ben, on a potentially underrated story? Um, I think that uh, yours is a very good one. Um, I think another underrated story is uh, going to be uh, similarly uh, the hitting coaches um and and sort of how does uh the new makeup of the major league hitting staff uh how do the players who enjoyed success last year perform with the and and i know there's some carryover in that type of thing but you know what does losing jeff albert mean to this team both at the major league level but then also at the minor league level um and so how how much 
of a system did he put in place and how ready are the Cardinals to take that and move forward with it and continue to evolve and continue to grow. And I, I think that is something uh, that will be very interesting to watch. And I understand why that hasn't been a big focus this year, because, you know, there's only a handful of minor leaguers who get invited uh, through the step program. You know, we, we aren't quite ready to kind of look at hitters in the system in that way. But I think that is something that we should all be paying attention to this year as Cardinals fans, both at the major league level, but then at each level of the minors as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interested in that as well. All right. Uh, Ben um, at Batty Guess asks, do you think the base size changes might help or hurt the Cardinals specifically, or would the impact be minimal? And do we think the rule changes in general will have much impact? What do you think, Ben? Uh, I think that the rule changes, I, I think some of them will have more of an impact than others. Uh, and specifically, I think that the pitch clock is going to make things a lot more enjoyable for folks because uh, the games are going to get done more quickly. You and I have lived through it, uh, living in a AAA town. I think folks who have not really experienced that pitch clock uh, may not appreciate, you know, it's it's going to shave a not insignificant amount of time off of, of the game time. Um, and also with Giovanni Gallegos on the Cardinals, it might have a bigger impact on the Cardinals than any other team. Um, so uh, I, I, I think that one will have an impact. I think the shift is going to, the shift, limitations are going to have less of an impact than people think uh, because you're, oh, yeah. you're still able to move people around where guys generally hit the ball. And so I, yeah. you know, I think you're going to see at the end of the year, there's going to be like a guy who has like 12 hits that he would not have had last year. And he's going to be like the leader, yeah. but that's just like 12 hits, yeah. you know, that doesn't even quite get to yeah. bull Durham monologue levels of luck, you know, like, yeah. Um, and I'm real interested. The stolen base is the real wild card for me. And because I think we could see quite a few more stolen base attempts. Uh, and But I also recognize that teams, there's kind of a break even point. So I'm not sure that baseball has settled on for those attempts. And I'm not sure how willing teams will be to break out of that and really push the envelope uh, with the bigger bases. What What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I'm, I'm basically exactly in line with you. Um, and uh, I, I think with all of these changes, you know, the thing is, these were all in place in the minor leagues. And we didn't see like major changes at any of these minor league levels, right? Like, you know, none of them were, were like a, a Super Nintendo game where you turned on the wacky ball rules, right? So uh, you're not going to see that in the major leagues either. Um, you're not going to see r- ridiculously drastic changes in anything. Uh, and I'm with, yeah, the shift. I mean, when you look at what people keep saying, they, they're banning the shift. I mean, yeah, the, the shortstop has to stand like, you know, one step on the shortstop side of second base, you know, and, and, you know, the, the second base position, their feet have to be on the dirt, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty small changes there. And, 
you know, yeah, the, the base size is going to make a difference. But yeah, so much of what dictates stolen bases is that extreme risk reward um, proposition that teams understand they have to get out of that. So I don't see that making a huge difference there. But I agree with you. The the pitch clock is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And it, it does make the game so much more enjoyable. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to tell you, uh, folks, even if it destroys Giovanni Gallegos' career, I'm glad it's here because it just makes the games so much more enjoyable. And um, uh, we'll have to listen to um, less of Chip Carey uh, because of that as well. So um, our next question um, comes from uh, 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 Sachin Parikh, who asks, do you think Steve Cohen's influence will force other top and mid-tier teams to raise their salary budgets also. Ben, what do you think? Um, I don't think it will. I think that owners like Bill DeWitt will dig in their heels even more and look for advantages elsewhere. Um, it, it, the, the, the team that I think might have an impact is the Padres because Padres ownership is out here, you know, basically undermining every talking point that we've heard you you know and so um it is a situation where it feels like that could have more of an impact on the way you know an owner like a bill dewitt might act um because the cardinals are in a similar position on on paper at least uh to where the padres are you know kind of a limited media market, lots of fan interest at the ballpark. Um, but it, uh, you know, I think that could maybe push some of these uh, other owners to perhaps spend a little bit more is teams like the Padres with, um, you know, kind of more limited resources going up there and spending not quite at a New York level, but at a pretty high level. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, will it stop the, uh, collusion? I think is the question here. Um, I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I would say to me, I really think it is going to come. I, I guess I'd say maybe, you know, see my earlier comment on RSNs. I think that's really maybe where this will shake out and it'll shake out in that next, I think it's what, 2026 CBA. Um, I think that's the next point where structural changes could come in that could impact this, um, you know, because really I don't think uh, any rules can come in to do anything about this until then. Um, and I think, you know, the commissioner's office and by the commissioner's office, it would be really saying the bulk of other owners frustration is probably just the fact that, uh, you know, Cohen is willing to blow past the, you know, yellow and red lights they felt like they put up and, um, you know, in terms of um, kind of, uh, you know, penalties on salary. Um, but those are the penalties that are there until the next CBA. So I don't really see anything changing until they open that up again. Yeah, I I think that's a very good point. They're right now they're exploring kind of, you know, with this new committee how they might be able to better rein Cohen in and they're they're much more interested in changing his practices than their own. And I think that desire is not going to go anywhere. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. 
All right, moving on, the wallet inspector at O underscore T underscore Lee asks, inspired by uh, Kyle Reese on Meet Me at Mutual, does the team use prospects as human shields against their three-quarter ass, more than half-ass, but less than whole-ass off-season roster building tendencies. And because of that, are prospect expectations by fans consistently too high? What do you think, Ben? Well, I mean, this is one of my probably favorite questions of the night. Uh, you know, we've got our good friends, Kyle Reese, um, uh, as well as the Meet Me at Mutual podcast uh, referenced here. We have human shields. We have three quarters of an ass. I mean, there's a lot going on in this question. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, to the question itself, um, you know, which is basically, you know, does the team use, you know, prospects essentially um, as an excuse against, uh, you know, spending more and um, do they overrate their own prospects? I guess I would say, uh, you know, see the goals of DeWitt Ball. And the, the uh, expressed goals of DeWitt Ball are compete every year, um, maintain a face of the franchise player, and do it as cheaply as possible. Um, I think those are the, really the three primary goals of DeWitt Ball. And if those are your three goals, I think... Um, you know, having uh, prospects and um, really, really highly rating to the point of maybe even overrating your prospects is uh, pretty, pretty central to achieving those goals. Um, what, what do you think, Ben? I I don't think that the team uses prospects. I think that the fan knowledge of them. Uh, has grown so much over the last, you know, like 15, 10, 15 years. I mean, I remember when uh, stltoday.com writers used to mock uh, those of us who followed prospects and they'd call the prospects Fabergé eggs and people who liked prospects hyperventilating prospect geeks, right? And, and that was an effort to marginalize people who followed prospects, but, you know, kind of the, the geeks have won out because teams have recognized the value in prospects and the value in prospects, making it to the majors and earning league minimum, and then a suppressed salary through arbitration. And so, you know, is there an incentive for the team to, discuss and promote prospects yes there is but there has always been that because it it helps maintain fan interest even if the major league team is underperforming you still have these guys coming up that you can be optimistic about and excited for and there's a whole cottage industry around prospects and so you know how much of that is the team you know versus how much of it is just kind of the media environment that we're in now and the need to kind of know about the next big thing, it's kind of analogous to uh, college football recruiting and college basketball recruiting and college baseball recruiting. I, you know, the amount of time that folks spend following, you know, the, the play and decisions of teenagers across the country is pretty wild. (laughs) And, and so, but, but it's a very similar thing where you want to know who's coming in and who's going to help your favorite team. Uh, 
And so right. I think that the the team definitely is not sad about this turn of events because it helps them sell their model for being competitive. But that model has really been the Cardinals model going back to Branch Rickey, where you're going to develop homegrown talent that allows you to compete with mm-hmm. the heavy hitters. And so um, I, I think the team you know, doesn't shy away from placing expectations on prospects and is very, I think, pretty straightforward on how they view uh, some of those prospects. But I don't think they really use it as cover. I think it is a legitimate commitment to the model that you just described, Ben. And so, you know, trying to describe it otherwise just feels a little off base to me. Well, yeah, and I, I, I would agree with you, Ben, 100%. And I think, you know, again, getting back to goal one of DeWitt Ball, and, and, and look, we we call it DeWitt Ball, and we're a little derisive with that sometimes, and, and intentionally so, let's be honest, intentionally so. But goal number one of DeWitt Ball is to compete every year, and they do that. <laughs> they do that incredibly successfully. And a big reason they do that is because of this constant pipeline of prospects and if we talk about using prospects as a shield against spending, no, the, it's the prospects that allow them to compete every year without having to do all that spending and essentially having to uh, you know, piss money away on players that they could fill internally you know, and, and, and they do. And, and that's where you see so many other clubs that aren't built in this way that have to then instead go into that boom and bust cycle. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, again, this is the, this is DeWitt ball. This is the model that they've chosen. And I think, um, it's, it is frustrating for folks because it does, it does put a certain, there's absolutely a cap on spending. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, a uh, there's a lot of success that comes from it as well. And so, you know, it is what it is, I think. Um, uh, next question we have been, um, Nathan Ritter, and this is our last question wants to know, we're kind of ending where we started on the world baseball classic, which non powerhouse, for example, not USA, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Japan, or Venezuela, WBC team, are you rooting for to make a deep Cinderella run? Ben, you got a, you got, you got a horse in the WBC race. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Canada. Um, it, you know, Tyler O'Neill, I've always kind of enjoyed that Canadian connection for him. Growing up, I was a big fan of Brett, the Hitman Hart from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I really enjoyed his heel turn uh, where he really got back to his Canadian roots and told we Americans how terrible we were compared to Canada and Canadians. Um, But also Freddie Freeman, uh, he's a fun player to watch. I I think uh, uh, it would be fun to watch them make a run. Um, There's also the Larry Walker connection. Uh, and I think Larry Walker, who's pretty active on social media and just seems to genuinely enjoy life, uh, I would enjoy seeing his reaction to Team Canada making a deep run. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Canada. 
Yeah, and you you said a lot of words about Canada without mentioning Stubby Club. Oh yes, that's a failure on my part uh, as a co-host of a Cardinals <laughs> blog. That's a an excellent point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's a solid pick. I was kind of, um, this question made me look a little bit at the WBC field, which I hadn't. Um, there are four qualifiers who had to play their way in. That was uh, Great Britain, Czech Republic, Panama, and Nicaragua. So those are your real, um, your real long shot teams there. Um, if you're really pulling for a long shot. Um, so in the past years of the WBC, um, teams that have either won or been a runner-up. You've got the USA, uh, Puerto Rico twice, Dominican Republic, Japan twice, South Korea, and Cuba. So those are the teams that have, you know, uh, once and or twice been either a winner or a runner-up. So um, I would say uh, Canada, who you mentioned, Mexico and Venezuela, kind of to me seem like the top teams that have not been kind of up in that winner circle. So I think, um, you know, any of those, I, I, to me, Mexico or Canada, I think would really be um, interesting clubs to kind of see get up there. Venezuela as well. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of really good players from Venezuela. Um, so um, I'd be interested to see um, really any of those teams, but um, yeah, I'm just, you know, there's so many great players on any of these teams and it's just always fun seeing guys play, um, with guys from their home country as opposed to playing in whatever organization they're in. So I kind of just enjoy watching, uh, in whatever, uh, you know, really whatever game is on. So, um, anyway, thank you to everybody for all the questions. Uh, it was a great way to kind of preview the season. We always appreciate folks connecting with us at Cardinals off day on, uh, on Twitter. Um, so Ben, as we, uh, kind of move into the, uh, home, stretch here um and we uh, really move into games uh in spring training uh what are you going to be watching for uh i'm going to be watching for uh innings pitched by relievers to and you know that includes some of the prospects coming out uh some of the incumbents you know like the verhagens uh to try to get a feel for who the cardinals are going to round out the bullpen with um, and generally speaking, you, you can kind of get a feel for who they're looking at by how those pitchers are used, uh, in spring training. And so it's still very early. Uh, so the tea leaves aren't going to be giving you very strong signals, but, uh, that's what I will be looking for, kind of trying to get an idea of how they're going to piece that bullpen together for opening day. All right. Well, Ben, I am going to combine my what I'm looking for with my off day recommendation. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So uh, my off day recommendation is actually an article uh, Ben Clemens wrote uh, over at Fangraphs. Ben, our, our old uh, VEB uh, colleague, uh, called Fletcher Lives um, uh, from a few weeks back. And I, I know you, you read this one as well. Um, and this was comparing Brendan Donovan with uh, David Fletcher, the uh, uh, Angels uh, uh, hitter, who um, basically uh, two guys with good on-base skills. Um, but David Fletcher, he, as he kind of paints the picture, a guy who came up, had a few seasons of very good on-base skills, but ultimately had no power. And so pitchers just essentially pumped it down the middle and you know the walk rate plummeted. And so, you know, Ben Clemens just kind of raises the question, 
is, is this where Brendan Donovan is headed? So um, what I'm going to be watching for uh, is, um, and like you, Ben, in spring training, it's so hard because like, what are you going to watch for? You know, like you're going to see the guy went like five for 12 or, you know, against minor league pitching. I mean, you know what I mean? It's hard to glean much, but um, you know, assuming that we have a little bit of uh, stat cast type data at at least some of the ballparks, um, I'm going to be interested to maybe see some um, exit velocity data from uh, Donovan. Um, we did see during the off season, I think it was the Marucci bat company had a tweet that, you know, he'd gone in there and gotten, you know, fitted for one of these new hockey puck handle bats and adding bat speed. And, you know, just kind of looked like, you know, doing some of that stuff seems like he understands, you know, he needs to, you know, add some power. Um, so, um, you know, that would be a huge addition to his profile if he could increase um, the damage that he can do um, with all that contact. And so um, that would be very interesting. He was, um, I believe, a 28th percentile on exit velocity last year. Um, so if we were to even in spring training, see, uh, you know, see a jump in that, um, I think that's really would be really interesting because, you know, Donovan, um uh, would really become a very, very interesting player if he could add that. And I think it would just raise a lot of questions throughout the kind of Cardinals, um, you know, lineup and roster um, because um, he would just really make himself a guy who they absolutely had to get into the lineup um, and, um, you know, just where that would move pieces around, et cetera. So anyway, that's what I'm going to be watching for and my off day recommendation. Uh, ben, do you have an off day recommendation? Um, I, I do. And I decided to do uh, kind of a multi, a, a series of recommendations um, just because, I don't know what our list individual listeners, uh, you know, sort of mileage on the Astros cheating scandal and the Cardinals uh, scandal related to that. Uh, but Evan Drellich, the uh, author or the reporter who broke that story with Ken Rosenthal has written a new book and he has, you know, done the podcast rounds to help promote it. And he and Ken Rosenthal on the Athletic Baseball Show podcast discussed breaking this story as reporters and kind of how it all came together and that type of thing uh, this week uh, on the Athletic Baseball Show podcast. And that was a very good listen. And then Derek Gould had uh, Drellich on uh, to discuss it through more of a Cardinals-specific lens. And I thought that was very interesting as well. Uh, I was the site manager for Viva Albertos uh, when the Correa stuff broke. And so I, I followed that pretty closely um, and found, you know, some of this new information and some of the discussion between uh, Gould and uh, Rosenthal, or Gould and Drellich and Rosenthal and Thal and Drellich to be very interesting. But if you're someone uh, who isn't so interested in that and uh, is just kind of over it. Uh, I, and even if you're someone who wants to do that, you should also read uh, Cardinal scouting director, Randy Flores uh, did a, an interview with David Lorilla at Fangraphs, and that published earlier in the week. It's a very good read. And I encourage you uh, to give it uh your time and your eyes because uh, it gives you some food for thought. And I thought it was very interesting. 
Yeah. And if you're not interested in any of that, you could at least set your password to Eckstein123. <laughs> so... Um, Ben, uh, we've, uh, we, we put in, uh, we put in a decent, uh, decent amount of time today. Um, I think we hopefully have gotten folks ready for, uh, uh, for the season. Uh, any, uh, anything else before we, uh, we wrap things up? No, uh, I just, uh, want to once again, stress, uh, spring is upon us and it's a good feeling to know that, uh, ball players are playing baseball down in Florida and Arizona again. Uh, probably uh, by the time you're listening to this, they will be doing that. And that's a great thing. And soon enough, opening day will be here. So uh, enjoy because baseball season's starting once again. Absolutely. And uh, Ben and I will probably continue some, some periodic drop-ins through spring training before we start back with our regular off-day schedule once the regular season begins. Uh, and uh, just lastly, want to uh, thank uh, Dan, as always, for doing our social media. And uh, once again, thank Devon for our theme music and remind everybody to uh, pick up uh, Devon's new album uh, wherever you get your music. 